Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. Hey Ivy, so great to be able to talk to you. We are starting a new series which is going to run for four or five weeks and it's something I'm really looking forward to. It's called When You Pray. We're obviously continuing in our year of prayer and we are going to keep on coming back to this because there's nothing more important we can do than learn how to pray. Um, You know, the disciples came to Jesus and they didn't ask him to teach them to do miracles, even though they saw him do miracles. They didn't ask him to, um, how how do we teach, even though they heard him teaching, but when they saw him pray, they said, teach us to pray. And then um, what we discover is if we pray like Jesus and if we learn to pray from Jesus, then we're going to see amazing things. We get to see all the miracles anyway as as we pray. And there's so much for us to pray about. So I'm really excited that we're going to be looking at this series. We're calling this series When You Pray and it's based out of Matthew chapter 6. Matthew's Gospel chapter 6 is uh, often is referred to as being part of the Sermon on the Mount when uh, you know the Beatitudes, blessed are you, blessed are you in Matthew chapter 5 and then it runs into Matthew chapter 6 and Jesus starts to teach specifically on the subject of prayer and uh, he's got some amazing things to be able to teach us. So I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 6 verses 5 to 8. This is what Jesus said. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you and when you pray notice this keeps coming back do not heap up empty phrases as the gentiles do for they think they'll be heard for their many words do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him have you ever gone to the pictures and gone to the movies and you see a trailer for a film and you think, wow, that looks like a brilliant film. Can't wait to see that. And you make a little note of it maybe. And then when it comes around, you go and see that film and you realise that actually it's a terrible film. But all they've done is get the very best bits out of two and a half hours or however long it is. And they get like, they manage to find a reasonable 30 seconds and you think it's a great film until you go and see it. The reality doesn't measure up. Or is there something like you can look at the outside of and you think uh, it looks brilliant on the outside, but then you realise it's not so good on the inside. I remember years ago, a bit of a gross story, but um, when I was about 13 or 14, I went to the the fair and I, I got a toffee apple and I was like, oh, brilliant toffee apple. I bit into this thing and I was talking to somebody and, uh, and I was chewing away on this thing. And I thought, oh, this is all right. But the outside was fine and toffee, but the inside the apple was rotten. It was gross when I looked at it. It was all like black inside. I'd eaten most of it at this point. And then the, the worst, it gets worse because I went on the waltzers and started spinning around. And halfway through on the waltzers, I started being sick over just about everybody else on the rest of the fairground. So... Uh, don't even know why I'm telling you that, except things can look great on the outside and not so good, not the reality is there on the inside. 
About 15 years ago, I was invited to be part of like a learning community in the States. And I was so excited because one of the people who was going to teach us was one of my great heroes, John Ortberg, incredible teacher of the Bible. And we got to be able to um, meet all these different people. I took notes on everybody, but I kept waiting for John Ortberg because I knew he was going to help me to be able to be a better preacher of the Bible. And I was going to learn all kinds of techniques off him or something like that because he's just such a great communicator. So when he walked in, I'll never forget him walking in thinking, wow, Wow, I've read so many of his books and here he is actually in the flesh and, and I have my pad all ready to take all the notes on about techniques and those kind of things. But then he put his Starbucks coffee down, he looked at us, this little group of us that were gathered together and then he asked us this question, is the life you're inviting others to live the life that you yourself are living? And that was just like early on, but it was a throwaway comment in some ways, but bang, it got me right in here. Because I realized that in so many ways in my life that that wasn't the case, that the externals weren't matching the internals. The, 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 I, I'd learned how to be able to put on a really good show as being a spiritual person. That even, you know, I was a church leader, I knew how to say the right things, do the right things, give the right impressions and all those kind of things. But what about on the inside? What about when it was just me and God? Um, was that, did it all match up? And um, now, you would have thought I'd have gotten over that. Um, because when I first came to Christ, before I was a Christian, the externals certainly didn't match the internals. I was, uh, you know, a police officer, looked good on the outside, shiny buttons on my tunic, and uh, arresting the bad guys. But none of that dealt with the real me on the inside. And it was only when I was driving to work one day and and listening to some uh, music, some worship music, and suddenly felt the presence of God invade the car. And I was just been checking out Christianity and had this incredible vision of who Jesus really was and this realization of, uh, of how great and good he was and what a great sinner I was, that everything changed. And I knew that the inside needed to match with the outside. I needed Jesus to come in and change me from the inside out. But sometimes we can think that just happens when we're Christians and when we first become a Christian, but actually it's an ongoing thing. A guy called John Wimber said, it's all about grace and it isn't about um, to, to uh, make myself better, it's about letting God change me. And the phrase that John Wimber would say is the way in is the way on. The way we continue to grow as Christians is that we keep on receiving the same grace that we had at the first place to become one. We've got to keep on asking for that, um, that grace. The, the answer is not me trying harder, wanting to kind of pull myself together and pull my own socks up. The answer, whenever we realise that, that there's a gap between um, who I could be in God and who I really am, the answer is honesty. The answer is owning up. The answer is saying to Jesus, teach me, help me, and, and do what only you can do in my life. So if I've ever grown in any way over the years as a Christian, I think it's always been when I've realised how much I need to grow and then I've, I've asked God to, to show me something and teach me something. And very often, before he teaches me how to do something, he teaches me how not to do it. So when Jesus starts off by teaching about prayer, it's interesting to me that when he says, when you pray, but by the way, notice it's not an if you pray. It isn't an if thing for Jesus. When you pray happens because Jesus knows everybody prays. You know, people will say, I don't really pray, but they do. They just don't believe them. Um, you know, ultimately we can end up less and less praying, but I believe that every child is born and brought into this world with some kind of connection to God. Each one of us, it's as natural as breathing for children for us to have a, have a relationship with God, but the world can knock it out of you. 
You know, I remember when I was a, a child, I would just pray these really honest prayers, but a lot of them were scared ones. I remember praying as a little boy, God, please let my mum and dad live forever. You know, I didn't ever want my mum and dad to die. And uh, it was just an honest prayer that I can remember as a little boy. Even though I didn't even know who God was and, and how I could connect with him, that was a prayer I'd pray in bed. Zoe says that when she was a little girl, she would remember, even though she wasn't brought up as a Christian or even to go to church in any way, that she would talk to God and, and finish her prayers and kind of blow a kiss up to heaven at the end of her prayers because she knew that she had that kind of relationship. And Jesus said, unless you change and become like little children, you're not even going to enter the kingdom of heaven. But we can't believe it's that simple. We try and make prayer really, really complicated. And if we're not careful, we can end up play-acting with God. Um, Shakespeare in As You Like It said, all the world's a stage and all the men and women merely players. Now, I don't think that he could have imagined how huge that's got in a society like ours, where people are putting on their insta-twit face them, all over the, 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 the internet, we're putting on these perfect looking lives or whatever it is that we're trying to filter everything to make it look really good and putting a, a selfie story out there that looks like everything's amazing. But in some ways, Jesus knew what it was like because of the, the people that he describes, the way in which he describes what was happening with prayer in his day. And he's talking about how religious things, good things can even be used, but with the wrong motivation. There is a thing that actors talk about. Um, actors will ask a question famously, what's my motivation? What's my motivation in this scene? And what Jesus is saying in here is, watch out when you pray that your motivation is right. Don't let your motivation um, be about what are people thinking about me or, or all those external things, or even what I'm thinking about me. Instead, it's thinking about God and focusing upon him. So Eugene Peterson sums this up beautifully in the message version. Under the heading, pray with simplicity, he puts this for this passage, Matthew 6, verse 5. He says, when you come before God, don't turn it into a theatrical production. Religious people in Jesus' day might have been called up to the front sometimes in the synagogue to, to, uh, to read a passage from the Old Testament or to, uh, to lead, they'd be invited to lead the congregational prayers, to be able to sing a prayer perhaps or whatever else. And that happens in many churches, of course, today. And it's fine to be able to do that, to be able to sing and to worship and even to be up on at front and do that, as long as the heart of it, as long as the reality of it is not just some public performance that isn't matching up the, 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 what's going on in private with God. As long as it isn't just about, it's not just being done for the benefit of others. Jesus says literally, um, it, other people might pay to see that kind of a show, but that's the, all the reward that you're going to get. There won't be anything coming from heaven as a result of that. This is about the reality of our prayer lives, not just the external show, not just some formal thing even that we go through. Remember my old vicar, Alan Buckley, told the story years back of how he'd been to um, a, a diocesan event and there were all these different clergymen there and the bishop's chaplain used to, uh, at various points, the bishop would say, now my, my chaplain will, will uh, lead us in prayer. And, the, and this chaplain had the, always had the right prayer for the right day, the right saint, whoever it was, day, or the right occasion and would read these prayers for everybody. And then there was an occasion they were just about to eat and the bishop said oh actually I think I'll ask my chaplain to say grace just before the meal just to thank God for the meal and this chaplain went bright red and then leaned in and said to the bishop I'm really sorry but I haven't got my book with me 
I'm absolutely stumped. And it was like he couldn't just pray and talk to God because he didn't have the book to be able to read the words. And there's got to be something wrong with that picture. Now, it wouldn't, it would have been quite unusual in Jesus' day to have somebody praying on street corners as Jesus describes. Unless, as some scholars have suggested, a religious person, perhaps a Pharisee, might deliberately time it so that instead of being in the in the, in the temple or wherever at the appointed time for afternoon prayer, he just so happened to find himself in the most prominent place out on the street somewhere where everybody could see. So could it be that this is actually something that people did in those days, that people were praying so that other people would hear it rather than thinking about God hearing it? Maybe that's why Jesus summed those kind of people up as people who cared more for human approval than for God's glory. He said that in John 12, verse 43. See, public prayer is brilliant. It's really good. But you don't have to put on a show. You never have to put on an act. Jesus instead instructs us, rather than doing that, he says, go to your secret room. Go to a, a, a place that you can meet with God in private. Four times he talks about how God sees what we do in secret, in secret, in secret, in secret. And he says, even the humblest home, you see, would have a little room. The word for, for room there is like a little storeroom. It's like a little store closet. It might be all that you've got. This tiny little place that you go in and you shut the door in that secluded place. And there you can meet, make, keep your most important appointment with the most important person in the whole universe who wants to spend time with you there. No Wi-Fi, no notifications. Just stop and breathe and be there and know that God is with you, even in that confined space, the God of the universe will, will come in and meet with you. And you can talk to him about anything and he'll talk to you about everything. And if you want to, when you're finished, blow a kiss up to heaven. But religious practices can turn praying people into perfect hypocrites. See, we use the word hypocrite nowadays to be somebody who says one thing and does another. And if we're honest, that includes everybody. If, any, if ever anybody says to me, well, I wouldn't go to church because it's full of hypocrites, I'll say to them, no, it's not full. There's always room for one more so you can join us. Because nobody actually always does everything perfectly the way that they tell other people they should do it. But the word hypocrite that Jesus used at the time that he used it, the people hearing it would have thought about an actor because it was a particular style of acting in the Greek theatre. You've probably seen those masks where you have like a happy mask or a sad mask, and they would put them on to do different kinds of characters. They'd put a different mask on in order to be able to do that. Those masks represent being an actor. They've come to symbolise the actor's craft. So Jesus is describing somebody who's standing in front of other people with a mask on, pretending to be somebody that they're really not. And he says, you never have to do that with God. You never have to pretend. You never have to be something different than who you just are. So, before we learn how to pray, next week we're going to look at how to pray. Jesus is going to tell us exactly how to pray. Even when you say, I don't know how to pray, he'll tell us exactly how to pray. Come next week and he'll learn how to pray. You'll never have that excuse of not knowing what to pray. How do we pray? Jesus will answer that next week. But he starts off by saying how not to pray. And basically he says, don't pretend. When you pray, don't pretend. There's no need to pretend. You don't have to put on a particular face. You don't have to put on a particular voice 
or a, say particular words in a particular way. You don't have to beg God. You don't have to shout at God. You don't have to convince God. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. No need for big long words. No need to babble particular formulas over and over and over again. It's not, it's not praying it a long time that convinces God in some way. And it isn't using phrases and saying, and Lord, we really, really just want to do this or do that in Jesus' name, amen, so now you have to do what I've said. It's not a slot machine. But prayer does matter. And John Wesley said, God will do nothing but in answer to prayer. It doesn't mean God is moved by many prayers. But in fact, it's interesting. The question most asked by our youth group about prayer is, well, if God already knows what I need, why do I need to pray? The answer to that is because prayer is God's appointed way for that thing to happen. Jesus right here says, God already knows what we need, but he's interested in relationship with us. And prayer is the way that the relationship grows. And then he doesn't, he actually gives that as being a, uh, the fact that God knows what you need already, he gives that as a positive incentive to pray rather than something that will put you off praying. Because prayer is not an optional extra. Prayer is heaven's operating system here on the earth. Yes, God knows what we mean, uh, what we need, but it's through prayer that what we really need to be released and what God wants to release here on the earth happens. So, let me finish with this. How not to pray. Don't pretend. Don't play act. Just be who you are, where you are, with God. He's there. Talk with him and listen. Next week we're going to look at how to pray. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org forward slash media.